Welcome to Generation Nation. I'm Bobby Batista. You may have heard about a recent recall in the news lately of Kraft macaroni and cheese. You know, the box kind, the one that's radioactive orange after you mix it up. Was that even cheese? Anyway, it made me think about the foods that we grew up with in the 50s and 60s and how food tastes and cooking have changed over the generations. Remember these commercials? Franco-American invented the spaghetti eater survival kit. And eat raw spaghetti you can eat with a spoon. Oh, spaghettios. Tang, the energy breakfast drink with rich natural flavor and more vitamin C than orange juice. The 50s and 60s ushered in processed foods. Two chocolatey cookies with a luscious cream filling in between. The most and the creamiest filling of all. Oreo cream sandwich. With ice cold Coke, you get the lively lift that puts a lot more zing in living. Only Coca-Cola gives you that The 70s gave us microwaves or radar ranges, as they were called back then. Hello, I'm Barbara Hale, and I've made the greatest cooking discovery since fire. The radar range microwave oven, made only by a manna. Cooks most anything on ordinary household current in about one-fourth the time. And Julia Child introduced us to the French chef. Bon appétit. This is Julia Child. Every decade, every generation has its signature foods. So I thought I would call upon my good friend and former CNN colleague, registered dietitian, Carolyn O'Neill, who has just finished writing the Slim Down South cookbook, and she also writes for bestfoodfacts.org. And I thought we would dish about this topic. Well, you know, it's so fascinating, isn't it? And I think, you know, whether you're 23 or you're 83, you know, you're going to have a collective food memory based on the foods you've enjoyed. And guess what else? The foods maybe you've seen being enjoyed on a rerun of an old television show even, you know? <laughs> and uh, when, I, when I first started studying uh, nutrition at Florida State University uh, back in the 70s, I remember there was one class that really caught my attention. And Bobby, it was food history. It just huh. absolutely, that's what drew me in. And I thought, you know, of course we think about the cavemen. And now what do we have today? The paleo diet, okay? We're yes. supposed to be eating like cavemen. Of course, you know, they did live to be a what, what, maybe 37? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> any diet. Yeah, but you know, you're talking about the foods of the 60s. And of course, I grew up in Florida, very much surrounded by the I Dream of Genie images of the space race and mm-hmm. Tang. That's when Tang was developed. Yes. In fact, some of the typical foods, let's do this decade by decade. If we start in the uh, sort of 50s and 60s, really, which we thought we were eating healthy back then, by the way, typical foods were tuna, noodle, casserole, Tang, onion dip. Onion you remember dip. Onion dip. <laughs> I love that. You know, I yeah. still make that for parties. It's a real crowd pleaser. <laughs> With the Lipton dry. It was never used for soup. It was only used for dip. But, you know, to modernize it again, this is what's fun. We're going to have fun with this. To modernize it, you could challenge me. I add, instead of 100% sour cream, which, of course, as you all know, is in the classic recipe for the uh, onion soup dip, um, I add half uh, Greek yogurt. So uh, you got a little more protein, mm-hmm. more uh, less total fat. Look at that. We, we've taken it straight into 2015. But we thought we were eating more healthy during the 50s and 60s when most of the boomers were uh, kids. And we were getting three squares a day. There were no gyms. We were more active. If you were obese, people thought it was genetic. Mm-hmm. And it was rare. It, the, the percentage of uh, folks who were overweight and obese in our country during that time, you just look at the statistics, there there were fewer people that were obese. But it was a metabolic problem for them, mm-hmm. you know, kind mm-hmm. of a thing. And now, of course, we see it much more readily. 
If we move into the uh, later part, of the 60s was a dual decade to some degree because two things happened during the 60s that affected food. One of them was Julia Child. Mm -hmm. And suddenly Americans knew of French cooking, where before we were pretty bland, pretty Mm -hmm. boring Mm -hmm. in our cooking. And, you know, it's true because, you know, when you think about it, just taking a snapshot of when Julia arrives on television in black and white, by the way, uh, initially, uh, with this uh, very exciting and, and inspirational food show, the real breakthroughs before that, and you can't blame them, when women were going into the workplace after World War II, and they didn't have time to make three loaves of bread at home. They were going to work. They didn't have time to start everything from scratch. And that's when we saw the birth of convenience foods. Now, today mm-hmm. we malign, oh, it's a convenience food product. But you can imagine what a boon that was. And so the food factories, if you will, or the food processors, if you will, whipped into making okay, now you could get your tuna noodle casserole in a box. You know, your can of tuna, obviously, you're not going to go out and catch a tuna even. Um, And so these were, uh, today we think about the frozen pizza. Of course, it's a part of our daily lives. But look at the variety. Look at there's whole grain. There's ones with more vegetables, ones with less sodium. We have more choice today. But when the, and think back and close your eyes, folks. I mean, when those convenience foods hit uh, the marketplace, it was exciting. It was modern. (laughs) You know what? Um, You're absolutely right, because TV dinners, for example, were reserved for the kids when the parents went out, and it was the biggest deal ever. And I have to say, you and I have a TV background. TV is a lot to blame for what happened to foods and our habits in the in the 60s. I kind of miss the TV tray tables. I, exactly. But I mean, you know, we started out eating snacks in front of the TV yeah. and then it became whole meals and we started moving away from the table. And then put- Julia, all of a sudden, just when we think that the American quote unquote housewife doesn't know how to cook because she's doing everything out of a box and convenience. I mean, come on, she's probably making her own meatloaf and that kind of a thing. Um, Julia comes on and all of a sudden she's doing coca vin from scratch. She is showing how to make these incredibly complex, uh, compared to, you know, uh, a can of chili, uh, recipes inspired by the great chefs and great cooking of France, but done in a way as every great teacher does. And Julia, a great teacher, took it step by step, held your hand and said, you can do it. And if it doesn't look perfect, so what? We'll do it again next week. Well, the 60s also was a split decade in a way, um, because the second half of the decade became a little more uh, hippie-oriented. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw foods like granola and zucchini bread. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, remember those? Oh, yes. Oh, was- yes. And all of a sudden, it was a smoothies. And we yeah. came into being. You know, I remember, you know, when you, of course, had it in your tie-dye, you'd have a smoothie. And you think about Woodstock and back to the land became the big thing. And actually, th- there is an exhibit. And if any of you get to Washington, and maybe you've seen it, uh, at the Smithsonian and the American History Museum, it takes the American food story decade by decade. And what you're talking about, Bobby, is entering the 60s, the dawning of the age of Aquarius in the supermarket. Oh, I never thought of it that way. Yes. And, you know, again, to your point, the zucchini bread. And that's when we first started hearing talk about organic. In the 60s, in agricultural America is when there was such an emphasis on trying to increase yields in the fields. And we turned to science. We turned to technology. And that was a good thing in many, many ways that we increase yields to feel, feed more people around the world. But it was also some 
big hiccups in terms of pesticides and chemical management that today we no longer use those practices in terms of the the poisons essentially that ended up in the groundwater in the land and so that quote-unquote hippie folks were saying hey we shouldn't do this we should be more organic and I'm just saying today as a registered dietitian in the stuff that I've been writing about for bestfoodfacts.org whether it's antibiotics or pesticides we've come a long way baby and I tell you what I think the food supply is safer now absolutely than it was probably in the 60s and 70s yeah because these smart people that are studying agriculture and they say okay how can we make it safe for the people the pets the planet certainly the land and for the future and so I really do credit the voices that came out certainly as remember the in the 60s and 70s in politics and that politics extended into safety and goodness in our food supply all right moving into the 70s this is now the gen x generation coming into being more women are in the workplace gen x kids were latchkey for the first time uh we began to see the growth of gyms because we were getting a bit fatter in the 70s and boy the clothing in those gyms that was attractive wasn't it you know yeah. you think about it. everybody <laughs> looks so cute now you look at those pictures like wow you know of course richard simmons yeah. still wears those outfits leg warmers leg yeah. warmers yeah. yeah there were also more appliances coming okay. onto the scene oh the, 70s. the microwave mm-hmm. it was you know that was it came along it was pretty in experimental stages in the 70s it wasn't really to the 80s that was the dinner bell of the decade in the 80s but the appliances and you know a lot of people don't know when you sort of pull back the curtain some of the original we think about the food network today and things on TV. Here's how to cook. Some of those original things on TV and radio were home economists doing a great job all across our great nation, helping people understand how do I use my gas or my electric uh, cooktop, my electric oven. These were new to a lot of homes. They may have been literally stoking the fires. Electri- electric skillets. Electric skillets. Yeah. Teflon. Again, another a byproduct of the space industry. And typical foods from the 70s, quiche. Fettuccine Alfredo, that, oh. that is what I served every guest oh, I ever had for dinner, God forbid. So continental. Beef Wellington and, the, and, and, and then a, um, a big run on the popularity of ethnic foods. Yes. In the 70s. Because Americans really had traveled. They started to travel, and uh, they came back from Italy and France and different places where they had been around the world. and um, Or maybe they'd just gone to the big cities, to New York, and went to Chinatown. And so you come back and you think, you know, after you've been off the farm, you want to come back and make a little... Uh, that's when Chungking came out. You know, remember they were in the cans. Yeah. My mom used to make the sukiyaki, you know, and she had to get her own beef and like stir fry that and then open the can. I love Chinese night. It was Chinese night in the 70s. God. All right. In the 1980s, we were definitely having uh, far less meals at the table because uh, more and more people were working now. Uh, life was good, though. It was prosperous times. Um, culinary gadgets were uh, on steroids during the 80s, oh the go-go gosh. 80s, and mm-hmm. I had to have the latest, you know, blender, mixer, Cuisinart, whatever. That's right. But meanwhile, the fondue pot was back on the back <laughs> shelf, you know, and that has just been recently rediscovered, right, folks? The fondue. But, you know, it is interesting when you look at what is driving the change? Technology, because you mentioned appliances, Bobby. So as appliances and people become more... You know, having the blender on the counter the whole time, just throwing everything in there. Then the food processors, everybody's got a food processor to do these various things. And now I find that in 2015, we certainly have a lot of gadgets, a lot of appliances, but we sort of are almost seeing a return to learning knife skills. How Hmm. do I use a knife 
to chop things up rather than throwing it in the food processor. Yeah. It's very interesting to me. And, and the ages-old madeleine, which is something for doing very, very thin slices of vegetables. So be careful, folks. You can cut yourself. But I see a return backing yeah. away from all these darn, you know, appliances on the counter. I mean, kitchens were designed, remember, with an appliance garage so you, oh, yeah. it was in the corner. You pulled this thing down, and you wouldn't have to see all the appliances, you know, just clean countertop there until you wanted to reveal your technology for taste. Something else happened in the 80s, too. Gyms were everywhere, and we became somewhat diet-obsessed. Remember the, the Stillman diet and the oh, and the, yeah. the Drinking diet. Man's diet. I have a collection, Bobby, because when I was at CNN, of course, I got a lot. I started at CNN in 82, so I was always on the lists of all the different books. And so I have a collection of diet books, and I have some absolute favorites. Um, the Dolly Parton All the Fried Chicken You Can Eat diet. And uh, that would say like, which actually is not too different from the new book that I wrote, Slim Down South Cookbook, Eating Well and Living Healthy in the Land of Biscuits and Bacon. Dolly was way ahead of me, okay, in the 80s. (laughs) Yes, that's like a Paula Deen cookbook. (laughs) And remember the unfortunately named AIDS? Yes. Those diet supplements. Oh, yeah, they were were candies you would chew. And you drink with coffee. You drink with with coffee. coffee. Yeah, hot coffee. You chew it. It was essentially Mm -hmm. a little sugar bolus, if you will. And so actually, when you think about it, folks, you have a little bit of something, and then it's going to curb your appetite. Uh, And uh, But why they? it was a miracle. And, of course, it was the same time that the... Um, you know, the the medical world was battling, and well, first of all, identifying AIDS, uh, and then uh, that product, then it may still exist, but it has a different name. Yeah, definitely. It's called chewing gum. Into the, yeah. All right. Into the um, 90s now, and our millennials are being born, and the family meal is really almost a thing of the past. Junk food is everywhere. So are personal trainers. Reduced fat foods are everywhere. And dining out. <laughs> becomes not a special occasion. Yeah. Dining at, for me yes. as a dietitian, this was, um, and again, working at, at CNN, I remember doing my first stories on the celebrity chef. And dining out is today, of course, a way of life. That was when it first began. It wasn't just a birthday, an anniversary, a special occasion where you could just like, hey, I'll get whatever I want. Didn't really matter. It was every day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, Mm-hmm. And snacks. But people, you know, less people are cooking, but it seems like a lot more people are cooking well. Would there, that be fair? Well, uh, what we see, uh, people say, well, nobody's eating their vegetables. Well, they certainly disappear from the supermarket and they keep having to. Um, but we do, you know, right now, 2015, we see romancing the vegetable happening on uh, restaurant menus, which I absolutely adore. And I brought just a couple of menus here from, uh, let's say, here we'll just look at one from Atlanta and then one from New York. I mean, uh, this is uh, southbound. It's here in Atlanta. I mean, just the way they describe the vegetables, fall salad, roasted squash, you know, with a maple vinaigrette. And then in New York, a place called Barbuto. <laughs> I mean, it's like insalata escarole with walnuts and a Dijon vinaigrette. We've got green kale. We've got red beets, uh, pomegranate and jalapeno vinaigrettes. I mean, it's like they're taking vegetables. Thank goodness, the chefs. Uh, so it's funny because when speaking of generations, um, if you have young children and you want to teach them how to eat their vegetables, you think, well, we should just stay at home and eat vegetables. Wow. Introduce them to vegetables at restaurants where the chefs really know what they're doing and the kids are really get excited. Look at roasted Brussels sprouts. 
Who knew that the Brussels sprout, actually, Bobby, that was maligned in the 60s and I 70s? I hated them. And now they're I'm, I'm all like the br- rage. to Brussels sprouts the way President Bush was to broccoli. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were boiled. They were horrible. And they're, yeah. you know, they've got, they contain mm-hmm. sulfur, like, mm-hmm. like uh, all of the um, like brassica vegetables, like your broccolis and cauliflowers. So if you overcook it, it gets that kind of smelly, sulfury. Mm-hmm. But if you roast them, completely different critter. Yeah. Otherwise, you sit at the table until you put them into your napkin and you're allowed to leave the table. <laughs> and even the dog doesn't want it, okay? <laughs> exactly. I'm curious. as to, I'm not sure we can define the 2000s just yet. I mean, uh, um, I, I'm kind of wondering what the millennials will bring to the table in terms of dietary habits and food. Well, what we've seen, again, is a return to the goodness or a nostalgia for, let's say, home canning is making a huge comeback. Hmm. Pickling preserving. These are the food processes. People say, I don't want processed food. These are actually food processes, obviously, but you have more control over them, perhaps when you're doing it yourself on the restaurant menus. And you see canning 101 classes that are happening uh, around the country to help people. Is farm to table, that's obviously the big wave, is that going to uh, remain a permanent trend, do you think? I think farm to table is permanent and it's building. We're seeing farm to bar. We're going to have like, you know, the um, cocktails. Oh, like cocktails. homegrown, homemade no, cocktails. Or, well, <laughs> yes, actually we do. That is kind of a trend of the, the, the crafted uh, 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 spirits. But yeah. but no, you're seeing, you know, like, of course, the organic carrots that are in the whatever, or the tomatoes that are in the, but, and I think we're also moving, uh, the National Restaurant Association just came out with their 2015 forecast and what's going to be on menus. And this is a wonderful snapshot of our times. And we're seeing uh, a great interest in fish, but guess what? underutilized species, like names of fish that perhaps you haven't heard of before, because we were chatting earlier about the mm-hmm. black and red fish, all the rage. Of the 80s. In the right? 80s. Uh-huh. Everybody had it on the menu. And guess what happened? We ran out of red, red fish. fish. So now the management of fisheries, uh, fish, that maybe it's not red snapper, folks. Maybe it's another name. It's fluke. You haven't heard of it. But you go to a restaurant, you try it, and next thing you know, you're buying it and cooking yourself. So it's a good thing for the environment. And it's sort of where taste and health come together. A couple of factoids before we go that I discovered that were really interesting. Olive oil used to be only sold in drugstores as medicinal. Wow. Can you imagine? And you know, they have, didn't have a really good crop this year over there in the Mediterranean, so prices might go up, folks. But olive oil has seen such a wonderful uh, acceptance. And also, people didn't used to like it. People my mm-hmm. mom's age, she's in her 80s, I don't like olive oil. You know why? They left it on the counter. It oxidized. It went rancid because, you know, they, it was expensive. They didn't want to use it up fast. And it didn't taste good anymore. So you have to take care of your olive oil. Buy smaller bottles, keep it out of the sunlight, even keep it in the refrigerator. All right, another factoid. Salads were considered effeminate in the oh, 1960s. They were absolutely. considered too French. Oh, <laughs> Ooh, a people salad. wouldn't eat salad. A salad. And you... the salad was a, also a jello salad, you know, with oh, mayonnaise in, the, in it. Yeah, that was a salad. In the 50s? Yeah, oh, yeah. It was a salad. They're with still serving cocktail. that, uh, by the way, in Minneapolis. Fruit, <laughs> fruit cocktail. Yeah. Oh. Uh-huh. And then, last um, but not least, our obsession with sugar has been around for over a century. I, it was interesting to read that the average consumption per person of sugar back in 1900 was 65 pounds per person. Now, the lifestyle was different, 
but this whole idea that sugar is so bad for you. Well, here's the deal, 2015 and sugar. And um, I think that there's sugar in everything. Um, it's not a poison. It's not a toxin. It is something that just adds extra calories, certainly extra joy. Just don't go overboard on the joy, folks, because then you'll be overboard on your scale. But it's sort of in everything because our taste buds, I believe, especially in America, want that. It's even in coleslaw. I was eating some coleslaw there. I'm like, why is there so much sugar in this coleslaw? Or cornbread. Why is there so much sugar in this cornbread? Because they're creating a recipe. To, to appeal perhaps to the U.S. Mm-hmm. palate that's used to drinking soft drinks, even uh, Kendall Jackson wine that was so popular across the uh, United States that they were kind of you know accused or at least identified, observed that there had a sweeter flavor. Was it developed to appeal to the American palate that was used to soft drinks? So if there's one health tip I have for people, don't worry about sugar being a toxin, but cut way back, let your real taste buds breathe and live so that you can enjoy the flavors of a real fresh apple. Carolyn, a joy, as always. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in. And I can't I'm, wait to see what's going to happen I, next week in the food supply. <laughs> I can't either. And remember, bestfoodsfacts.org and Slim Down South Cookbook. Thank Carolyn you. Carolyn O'Neill. Thank I'm hungry. You. Join us for the next Generation Nation. And thanks for joining us today. I'm Bobby Batista. Gotta get that. Wah, bam, boom, bam, boom.